Good morning. Love that voice. It's good to see you all here this morning as we gather on this beautiful Sunday morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful day this is, especially on this time of the year when it's getting really close to the birth of the Lord Jesus as we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as, as you look at the candles, you know, it kind of it's almost like a countdown as you as we as he, as he lights one and lights two lights three and, and I hope that it's it's a like a an anticipation to the birth and the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ as we look into the word as our pastor leads us there uh, it, it should be like an anticipation there for us as believers in Christ anyway this morning um, if, if you have your bulletin um, there's some let me, let me go through the, the word first, and then we'll go through the bulletin. How's that? Let me, let me do that. Uh, we're going to be looking at several verses out of uh, Philippians chapter 4 in preparation for our pastor's message out of the book of Zephaniah. I don't think I've heard anybody preach on the book of Zephaniah as long as I've been here. You know, I know I've studied it, but I don't think I've had any, all our pastors preach on the book of Zephaniah. It's going to be kind of an interesting message this morning. Anyway. Um, looking at Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. And these are kind of, hopefully they're familiar passages. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known in all men, to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What beautiful passages and encouragement that the Lord gives us. This morning, um, in preparation uh, for, uh, uh, for, the, for uh, this coming birth, celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to also have not only our Sunday morning service, but also a Christmas Eve service at 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, on Sunday night. So uh, hopefully you can make plans to be here. The other th thing in your bulletin there, which is also important, is the men's breakfast coming up in January, January 6th. And there is a sign-up sheet there for you if you want to sign up to be a part of that uh, breakfast uh, this coming uh, January 6th. And again, we have all our ministries going uh, listed there in our bulletin for you to uh, pray about and, and, and also uh, just lift them up to the Lord. So this morning, you know, we read the passages out of Philippians chapter 4, and it talks about peace. It's one of the things that, uh, as believers in Christ, we're encouraged to, to always be at peace. But the only way we can be at peace is when we put our mind on Christ, you know. And so uh, this is the thing that we need to do as believers in Christ, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And he tells us that the only way to obtain this peace is to have our mind stayed on Christ. So this morning, I hope that we can do that. We can focus on the word and also on whom the word is talking about this morning. So let us pray. Our Father God, thank you so much for all the things you do for us each and every day, Lord. We know we live in a world, Father, that is just um, many times in chaos. And it trickles down to our lives, Father. But the word encourages, Father, to, to be at peace, but be at peace with you. And, be, and by being at peace with you, Father, 
our lives are better. We live better lives, Father, and we can rest in you. And so, Father, this morning I pray that we can just completely be at peace now together as believers in Christ as we listen to your word, as our pastor just preaches out of the word as you led him to, Father, this morning. And thank you so much, Father, for all that you do for us once again. And, Father, we know that this is a time when many uh, will be traveling to be with their families out of town. Father, we pray safety for them. And we pray for, Father, all those that are not here with us for other reasons that you bring them safely back to the fall, Lord. And we just, once again, Lord, thank you for your goodness as a good, good Father. We know you always give us great gifts. And so, Lord, this morning, thank you for the, even the privilege of being here to listen to your word, listen to the, to the beautiful music, Father. And thank you so much for all that put all the hard work into this, to making this possible. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? The baby's already worshiping.
tears, gonna be no pain. When I see that smile on my Savior's face, I won't be walking.
You may be seated. Thank you, Josh. If you don't know, that's Josh McGee. Uh, we've always been blessed uh, since I've been here anyway, at least for the <clears throat> last many years, with considerable talent. And part of that is, not in Josh's case because he's not been here that long, but uh, we get kids up here when they're little. You may think they're little still, uh, but that's strategic. It's not simply, uh, you know, something that we're forced into, but we need... To all the parts of the body serving, right? 
Uh, with that in mind, guys, we need to keep in mind that one of our servants here at El Paso Bible Church is not doing well. Uh, as of, He was in the hospital last night, Don Ferguson, um, and he has some breathing issues. Uh, he doesn't have any of, uh, any of the viruses that are going around. Uh, he was tested for that last night. But with that in mind, explorers, if you're an explorers class, I know I already had some complaints on this, uh, but uh, there's no explorers class today. Okay, so we're not going to have that. But adventurers, if you're adventurers, we're going to pretend it's Communion Sunday and you guys are going to go to Children's Church. Explorers, you guys are here. The good news with that is that we're talking a little bit about the time of Josiah. Okay, and you may not realize that Josiah became king when he was eight years old. Um, that's when Zephaniah takes place. And I'm going to correct Ernie slightly because I have actually preached on Zephaniah a little bit before. He just doesn't remember. That's a, he's been here a lot longer than me, but I've been here long enough for people to forget what I preached on. That's all right. My feelings remain intact, Ernie. Don't worry. I don't have hurt feelings. But we're going to talk about Zephaniah. And the reason we're going to do that is, is due uh, partly for the same reason we have these candles here. They are, in fact, a countdown to Christmas in a way. They are. Um, they, the Advent season is not something that is explained in Scripture. What is explained in Scripture is that <clears throat> in the progress of Revelation, that the importance of Christmas is not the, necessarily the baby. It's, it is not even solely the resurrection, though it's hard to overstate the importance of that. But the reason the resurrection matters is because the kingdom is coming. And the way that we participate in the kingdom that is coming is via resurrection, okay? It all works together, and that's what we're talking about out of Zephaniah. Um, the reason that it seems a little bit helter-skelter is because we don't preach from the lectionary. And in the lectionary, I've told you this before, there are four different passages every week. And unfortunately... As godly of a man as Mr. Cranmer was, I believe it was Cranmer that put the lectionary together, um, he was not a dispensationalist. And so he misunderstood the nature of the kingdom that was promised in the Old Testament um, and thought that it was fulfilled in us. And that's important today. Uh, more than, more than many times in your lifetime probably. Um, I won't say all of them because some of y'all have a lot more lifetime than I've had. But today, you are witnessing the significance of it. Today, we have a protest going on today in the city of El Paso, right downtown, right in the plaza, uh, by two student groups, one of whom openly proclaims that they are the pro-socialist student group from New Mexico State University. The other one is a pro-Hamas student group. And they are protesting in your town downtown that's a pro-terrorism group that feels that they can rear their head in your city the reason they feel that they can do that and i've been over this before but we will beat this drum until it doesn't need to be beat anymore is because they do not believe that that land the land of promise belongs to israel and thus they feel justified in starting a war against Israel in it. <clears throat> so, um, the Bible doesn't know what they're talking about. The Bible does not agree with that. 
the Bible understands that when Israel is in the land, the only reason Israel is in the land is because God puts them there. And when God takes them out, they go out, but when they go in, God puts them in. That's, remember, like, this is why you ought to come to Sunday school. I've been teaching on this sort of thing for a couple of years now. Uh, that when Israel failed to believe, they failed to enter. When in the next generation, they entered because they walked in faith. They were taken out of the land because they became apostate. It is very, very clear in all of Scripture that when Israel occupies the land in any form of sovereignty, that it is God's doing and not theirs. So that's why we're talking, spending this time. Is that, because see, sometimes we, you're not, you're not very relevant, Pastor Josh. You've got to make the Bible relevant. If you want to learn how to lose weight for Jesus, guys, there's lots of that out there. None of them respect the scripture for what it teaches or why it matters. We allow, we allow the Bible to tell us why it matters and the kingdom matters. That's why Christmas matters. That's why Easter matters. Resurrection Sunday, sorry for some of you. You're going to think I'm now going to hell because I used the word Easter. Calm down. Calm down. I'm serious. I get all sorts of weird criticisms here about all sorts of things. But this is an obscure passage. I don't mind telling you that. I, I adopt, freely adopt two titles that people occasionally use in jest, and I take it seriously, Captain Obscure and Captain Awkwardness. So this might be a little obscure for you. Uh, guys, that's okay, but I don't think that it will be once we're done. It is. Uh, the minor prophets should not be as obscure as they are. Okay, and Zephaniah 3 is where we're going to be. We're going to really focus on verse 14, 14 to 20, but we'll back up just for a second as we go. But you need to know when this takes place, when Zephaniah is. I'll give you a minute, and we'll go over some history, because I know you're going to have to open your Bible to the table of contents. Some of you don't know that your Bible has a table of contents. It does. It's roughly in the same position that you would find it in any other book. Then you can find the page number. I could give you my page number, but it's going to be different. Y'all know how that goes. Okay, so if you need to look at the table of contents and you didn't know there was one, look in it and find Zephaniah chapter 3. I'm not sure if it's going to be up here or not. So you want to look at it in your, in your Bible? Some of y'all can just click over there. That's all right. Um, but you need a little background. He was of royal descent himself. He was within that family, right? Descended from Hezekiah, the prophet we're talking about here. Um, and he ministered, like I said, during the time of Josiah. Um, Josiah, often enough here in El Paso, is spelled with a Z. Have you noticed that? Josiah. Same guy, same guy. Josiah. Um, he, y'all ought to keep in mind the history, the timeline. You know that Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. North and south, not east and west. North and south. Northern kingdom was all bad kings. All. Because, I mean, it was founded on a cult that worshipped a golden, couple of golden calves. It's, didn't start well. Judah was a little less bad. There were some good kings. But Juice, Josiah was a, a good king in Judah, in the southern kingdom. And most people remember him uh, because it was during his reign that all of a sudden they discovered a book of the law. In the kingdom of Judah, they had lost it. They lost it. 
And get this, when they found the book of the law, it was only then that they realized that they should haul the idols out of the temple. (laughs) How bad was that? Tough, tough times. Judah was in pretty bad shape for Israel, right? Like you may, you may, they may not know all the ins and outs of Deuteronomy 25 or how many shekels they were supposed to, to pay if they lost a goat and somebody ended up eating it. Like little stuff like that. Yes, you might forget that. You might. There was an abundance of laws. How do you forget that in the sanctuary of Yahweh you're not supposed to have idols? We were talking about this in Sunday school. The Philistines stuck just the Ark of the Covenant next to Dagon, and they woke up twice, and Dagon's in a position of worship. (laughs) Without his arms and legs a second time. There's pictures of this all over the place. He, he suffers no equal, certainly not in his own sanctuary, but not even in his own presence. The book of the law that they were supposed to recite every seven years so that no child was without it. The book of the law that every king was supposed to sit down in front of the Levitical priesthood and write down his own copy so that he would never forget it. That's the one they lost. And it took a pretty good-sized construction project to find it. Helkiah, the priest, he finds it. He reads it in its entirety to Josiah. And Josiah, you can just see his face. He weeps and mourns. Oh, crap. You know what he has to do? He's like, this is bad. This is really bad. We better send this out for a second opinion. That's what he does. To a prophetess named Hulda. And she's not German. That was a Hebrew name, Hulda. And Hulda says, yeah, crap is right. Oh, crap. (laughs) God's wrath is coming. Because you guys forgot who God is for a long time. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Oh, crap is right. But Josiah responded the only way that he understood, right? He cleansed the temple of the idols. For his lifetime, there was a revival in a way. It was the coming of God's discipline that had been foretold way back, Moses in Deuteronomy said this is going to happen, was inexorable. They had more information. Assyria had already conquered the northern kingdom. They'd been gone, I think, 135 years, something like that. They'd already been conquered. Babylon was arising visibly. They knew what was likely next. And just a few years after Josiah died, Judah became a vassal state. You know what that is, a puppet king. Y'all know what a vassal presidency is, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, come and talk to me later. They had a vassal monarchy. 
a vassal monarchy, and ultimately, just a few short years after that, they were hauled bodily out of their nation. It was inexorable. And Zephaniah is ministering that time, and he recognizes that the judgment that is coming, the discipline that is coming, the exile is coming, is going to happen. It's going to happen. There's nothing that can forestall it. Nothing. Zephaniah sees that. But then he also sees, and this is near the end of his book, he sees a future day. We shouldn't confuse those two. And we should not assume that it is our day. In chapter 3, Zephaniah, I said we're going to back up a verse. Verse 13, just one verse, says this, The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Now I'm going to give you a Bible study methods. 301, this would cost you about $1,000 at Dallas Seminary to learn this. This is free. I'm not charging all a dime for that. When the Bible says Israel, the Bible doesn't mean anything but Israel. Doesn't mean church. $1,000 on the barrel there, guys. That's the value you just got. When the Bible says it's a remnant of Israel, no other explanation, no other modification, no adjectives, it means Israel. He says that there's a a remnant that will exist in the future. He's communicating something to his own generation who is unrighteous, who has lost the book of the law, who had idols in the temple and thought that was totally hunky-dory. That's totally fine. No problem. We can all get along. We can coexist. I'll bet you they even had the bumper stickers on their chariot. We can coexist. He's not talking to them, and he's not saying that you're going to fix this. It's not fixable, but you should understand the future is still in God's control, and God has an unconditional promise and an unconditional covenant to a remnant of Israel, and you can rejoice because of that reality in your own day. That's the truth of the kingdom for Israel, that they can always rejoice, that God will always honor his promise to bring them the kingdom, and it is coming. As a future day, they are on the cusp of seeing Moses' prophecy come to fruition. Moses tells them, this is too hard for you. You're not going to be able to do it. Y'all are weak, right? When the Bible says you old, you old. When the Bible says you fat, you fat. When the Bible says you're weak, you're weak. Come to Sunday school. You know exactly what those things mean. They don't do it. He says, you're going to experience the blessing. You're going to experience the cursing. Because you won't be able to do this. But in that day, he will gather you from the nations. Because of his good grace, because of his good pleasure, because of his covenant faithfulness, he will gather you and restore you. Israel. You can rejoice in that. There will come a time when you will forsake other gods and God will drag you out of this land 
You scattered among the nations, no way to stop that. But you remember, and we've said this over and over, that the covenant people of God can always look at their circumstance and always have confirmation of who they are. Because God foretold them, when you do these things, you'll get blessing. <laughs> when you do those things, you will get discipline up to and including exile. No matter where you are at in that prophecy, no matter where they are, they have confirmation of the covenant. If they did all of those things and received no discipline, no judgment, no correction, no exile, then what must they think? God is not faithful. Because he said he was going to spank me and he didn't. Yes? No? You, oops, sorry. Non-caveman parents in the room don't like to say the word spank. Discipline. They probably wished all they got was a spanking, to be frank, by the time it was all said and done. That's the point of spanking, by the way. But even with terrible disciplines, Zephaniah teaches them, you're supposed to look to the future because God is faithful and he will bring it about. And it won't be just rejoicing in that day, but you can rejoice today. That's where we are. That's where we are. The kingdom is coming, and the righteous remnant will restore that promise to the nation. And every good promise that God has given you will be fulfilled. And we, for us, it is not our kingdom, and we are not the kingdom ourselves. But we can thank the Lord that it is coming, that the king is coming, his kingdom is coming that he is coming for us and we will meet him in the air and we will be with him forever. And we are promised in a way that nobody could have anticipated, nobody could have expected that we will rule with him. In a kingdom that is not ours by right, it's not ours by right, but he says, "You, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him in the kingdom. That's good news, in case you all were wondering. Every once in a while, somebody says, Josh, you ought to run for office. Look, I said, I thought you were my friend. I thought we were buddies. Stop. I want to rule in this mess. I don't want to get elected in this mess. I don't have that kind of influence. If you can say you have any influence at all. But the good news is the good kingdom is coming, and we will reign with him. <clears throat> That's a good number of verses. But one of the things that we're paying attention to is who the kingdom belongs to, when the kingdom is coming. Those are important things because you need to understand uh, there will be believers in Jesus Christ at that protest today. There will be. Because most of the church teaches essentially what those people believe, that Israel has no right to the land and that they have replaced Israel in the plan of God. And so they will go and support terrorism and anti-Semitism. It's important that you know who the kingdom belongs to and when it's coming, when to expect it. It's important that you don't start with this foolishness about a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom, an actual kingdom that will have an actual king ruling on a throne in actual Jerusalem. Because the prophecy fulfilled must be recognizable 
to the people to whom it was promised. You understand that? Because they're all going to receive it. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will receive in fullness every single promise that was given to them in actuality, not just, you know, theologically in his descendants. He will be, a, he will be raised from the dead, and he will receive every promise that he was given and see his descendants like the sands of the seashore. He will see every good promise fulfilled to him. The same thing with David. So I want you to understand, like going back to King David, you tell him, well, your kingdom is spiritual, David. Your kingdom is just spiritual. A what? What's a spiritual kingdom? Where's the king? Where's his throne? Where does my great, 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 great grandson sit? has to be recognizable to the people who will receive the promise. It's not a bait and switch. So we can clear one of those issues up. We already looked at verse 13. How do I know that it's not you? Y'all are good people. I love you. You even look kind of pretty today. But you ain't the kingdom. You know how I know? Verse 13. Well, aside from the fact it says the remnant of Israel, we covered that, right? But the remnant of Israel, even if you make a mistake there, they will do no wrong. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but have you done something wrong today? Already in thought, word, or deed? Might have even lied. We lie every Sunday, don't we? The only honest person here is Ella back there. She, we all feel like that on Sundays, don't we, sometimes? Mommy! <laughs> Mommy! <laughs> even me, even Pastor Josh. We come through the door and someone says, how are you doing? Fine. Liar. It ain't, and you may be fine today, but you ain't fine every Sunday you say that. Anyway, that's just a minor example. Maybe if there's such a thing as a minor lie. <laughs> what is it saying? It's saying that the kingdom is going to be handed to a righteous remnant, someone who does no wrong, who tells no lies, who deceives no one. And who will live in peace, and no one will cause them to fear because they are righteous. And tells you the church isn't the kingdom, right? Church is justified people. Believers in Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Spirit, who have been justified, who have been declared righteous. Their standing before God is determined by Christ's righteousness your future is guaranteed to be glorified in which you will be made righteous. But I don't have to convince you that you're not right now, that you tell no lies and do no wrong. See, if, well, we have a psychological term for people who say they tell no lies and do no wrong. We call them narcissists. We recognize that it's a theological I mean, excuse me, a psychological disorder, and it ends up being a theological disorder. If you mistake justification with glorification, and people do that, but it's not us. The remnant is the remnant of Israel, and the remnant of Israel will be like that. They will be entirely morally renovated. How do you like that? Morally renovated. Righteous of their own essence and the glorified, right? Not like now, 
And that's why they're to rejoice, because that's coming. Shout for joy, O daughters of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Yahweh has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, Yahweh, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. Now, that sounds like he's talking to his own generation, but that's not what he's doing. That's not what he's doing. He said, you can know for sure, certainty, it is as good as already done in terms of what you're supposed to rejoice over. The day is coming when your enemies will be defeated. God's judgment will be removed. And the king, Yahweh himself, will be seated among you. He will rule. The king of Israel. It's not talking about the God's temple presence, the Shekinah glory, but of a rulership and a palace. The king will be bodily there, ruling in Israel, living in their midst, God's personal presence, ruling. How do we know that's future? Well, it says, in that day, verse 16, in that day, though it is as good as done, it is not now, in that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. Yahweh, your God, is in your midst. My NASB says a victorious warrior. You could say a saving champion. A Yashah Gabor, right? A saving champion. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Israel. He will. In those days future. Now, Zephaniah may not have the chronology completely in detail right here. But he knows it's coming. He knows that the judgment will be removed in that day. He will know that perfectly the nations of the world will know what God is doing in Israel. Another way you know that the kingdom is not now. Right? Yes, every single time Israel just simply wants to stay alive, the whole world seems to tell them to lay down and die. But in this day, in this day, the nations of the earth will know. Not only that, they will encourage Israel at God's rejoicing over his love, over his saving victory. And encourage them. Then we'll gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. Verse 18. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame, gather the outcasts, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. This is a, a key issue, right? This is one of the things that we understand that is intrinsic to the kingdom, again, why you know that it can't be now and that it's not spiritual as opposed to being physical. Does it have spiritual aspects? Yes. Is it a physical kingdom? Go find for me in the Old Testament, 
or in the New Testament. An appointed feast that involves a spiritual sacrifice for the nation of Israel. Find me a spiritual bloodshed. Do you, that, that didn't even apply to Christ himself, did it? He laid his own self down as a sacrifice, but he literally spilt his blood. This nonsense, and it is nonsense, about the kingdom simply being spiritual and fulfilling is foolishness. None of this vocabulary can be fulfilled. This can't be fulfilled without a temple. We had some templeology last week, right? That's not a real word. Don't use that one. I just haven't figured out what the real word is. The templeology says that you can't do this without a temple there. Functionally, religiously, culturally, Israel is still in exile in regards to the feasts and their worship because they have no temple. But there is a temple to come. And Ezekiel indicates that there will be sacrifices there, real ones. See, the thing is, the feast, the feast, the appointed feast, you can go back, you can check me. I encourage you to check me. You all have a concordance sitting on your phone. Look up perpetual statute in your English version or something like that. You look at the NASB. The appointed feasts are a perpetual statute. What does perpetual mean? Forever. The statute always exists. The opportunity doesn't exist, which is why it was grievous, because they could not obey and follow the appointed feast. Zephaniah proclaims to them that in that day, the, appoint, the grief from that will be eliminated. You'll have no enemies. The lame will be healed. The outcasts restored. The appointed feasts will be observed. And there'll be only praise and no shame. And it's because God, the saving champion, will reside among the people and in their midst. Verse 20 is the last one we'll look at. At that time I will bring you in. Even at the time when I gather you together, indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. The saving warrior will gather them together in a day to come in unity. <laughs> Another reason you know we, the church can't be, the kingdom can't it. No? Why is Pastor Josh here proclaiming the absolute perfect covenantal faithfulness of God to the Abrahamic covenant and that Israel possesses absolute right to the promised land while I guarantee you there are church members in downtown at 1 o'clock going to say that I'm a terrorist for teaching that? And you tell me how we can possibly be <laughs> some sort of spiritual kingdom with that crap going on. I don't even want to have breakfast with somebody like that, to be frank.
There's all sorts of things that Christians get their knickers in a twist about on a regular basis, but that one's pretty warranted in my opinion. Sitting down in a public forum and proclaiming God's curse on you for cursing Israel. I think that's kind of what we, at the PhD level, we call that a no-brainer. Technical term for it. kingdom is coming to a righteous remnant of Israel in the future who will do no wrong, who will tell no lies, and will tremble no longer. All the nations will recognize what God is doing when God restores their fortunes. Even the ones trying to kill them. Even the ones trying to kill them today. Even the ones who tried to kill them in the past. They said, you know that can't be today because every time Israel defends themselves, people tell them to lay down and die. Zephaniah said, no matter what you're about to face in the years to come, rejoice that the kingdom is coming. And you and I should do that too because of our place that Christ has given us. Again, not a debt we are owed, not our covenant, not our possession, but a blessing and a privilege in Christ Jesus. And it is still coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your absolute and perfect faithfulness to your word. We thank you for the specificity of your vocabulary, of your terminology, and the reality of that objective expectation that we have of your kingdom that is to come, and the promised blessings it holds for us. We thank you that we get to participate in it because we have life in Christ by grace through faith, simply and alone. And it's your son's name we pray, amen. Stand with us, we'll dismiss with one song.
the same.